In the previous lessons, you began to underscore certain qualities that uh, Jesus exhibited in exercising leadership. And um, I think it's easy to see in Jesus' style that he exemplified what it means to be a leader. And um, as I think about him and how we should model after him, for some reason, I always see the Karate Kid and Mr. Miyagi. For some reason, that image has always even, in fact, part of me needed that imagery in order to persevere um, because I wanted to be that kid limping on one leg, you know, where he got up and was able to look at that giant. And, but he underwent a lot to get to that place. And I looked at his humility and the way that he was submissive, yet there was a sense of independence in him that he wasn't just a mindless person going around. You know, a lot of people think that to be a dedicated Christian, you have to check your mind in at the door when you come in the church, but that's not the case. You need to feel your spirit in the times that you're not in this building. So when you come in, you can be renewed and refreshed and enlarged. And when we, when we emphasize in our lives what Jesus did, and we walk in a, in a way that, that shows who he is in our life, because we may be the only Jesus anybody ever sees. And I think of little Daniel, son, and Mr. Miyagi, and the way he was willing to do things that nobody else would do. He had a servant's heart. He, was, he persevered. He was diligent. He was there whenever he had the opportunity to be. He was there even when he didn't have the opportunity to be. He would paint the fence. He would wax the car. He would do all the things that were necessary in order to better him in his discipline. Well, our discipline is to be disciples for Jesus Christ. And if we want to go into this world this lost world that is definitely needing us. We need to, we need to get these, um, these teachings under our belt. And one of, the, one of the things that I've noticed in that pastor's teaching here is that Jesus refused to be discouraged when he was misjudged. And that's huge in the Christian life. Unfortunately, we are a target for the media these days. We're a target for our peers, our coworkers, our family members. Um, our siblings, even those closest to us, we seem to be so easily misjudged and um, having our questions, our, our motives questioned. And uh, if you notice, Jesus was accused by religious leaders by, about having a demon in Matthew 12, 24. It says that now when the Pharisees heard it, talking about Jesus when he was casting out demons, they said that this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So they accused him of being demonically possessed or operating in, in the dark power, dark forces. He was certainly operating in a force outside of the natural. That's for sure. We know that. But what the enemy wants to do is he wants to convince all those around you that you are not who you say you are. And as we are followers of Christ, you're going to find that to be more and more prevalent. Now, every leader, and that includes everyone in this room, and especially ministers, have been accused of greed, control, their uh, power hunger, occultic activity, etc. Um, Paul was accused of this too. We hear about all, the, all of his accusations. But um, one of the things I do want to say is uh, we, have, we have within our power the ability to divert a lot of these false accusations simply by the way we live our lives. We need to, to, to be mindful of the steps that we take as we're pursuing God. Um, there are certain precautions that you can take.
that are they're real basic, but you know, and they're taught throughout the encounter process and, and any and through your school of leaders. But you want to you want to position yourself to to get the least amount of resistance, the least amount of darts thrown at you, and simple things like not riding not riding with the member of the opposite sex. If you're married, you have no business in a vehicle or in a, alone in a room with anyone of the opposite sex. And there's things like that that may seem legalistic or petty to some, but I guarantee you that by not doing that, I mean one way to avoid um, suffering the problems of alcoholism, just don't drink. I mean, that's, it's little things like that that people take for granted and they don't, they don't um, look into. So we can do that as well and avoid a lot of the, the accusations that people, Christians especially, tend to get thrown at them. Now, everyone who attempts to do anything of significance will have their life scrutinized. And that's across the board in the secular world and in the spiritual realm. But it especially applies to those who are doing something of significance for the kingdom. Um, it's just, it's, it's amazing how, and I, I don't think I even need to explain that. You can see all over the media there's, there's ministers and, and folks that are being attacked in that area. Um, it talks here, uh, we must do our best to live and talk in such a way to minimize these opportunities is what I was talking about before. But don't compromise your integrity. You know, just when, when the opportunity arises to jump on the bandwagon and gossip about someone, um, the way you present yourself in public, you know, if, you're, if you have a Jesus sticker on your car, <laughs> you act like it. There's, in fact, she's not in the room now, so I could say this. My wife doesn't want to put a Jesus sticker on her car. <laughs> she's scared that she's going to cut somebody off or do something that she does not have road rage. But, um, however, after doing your best, you're still going to find that misjudging will take place, and you cannot let it discourage you. That's one of the things that separated Jesus from so many other religious leaders who were scrutinized, is that he didn't allow it to, to ruffle his feathers. You know, he just continued. He had a, see, the thing is, he said himself that for the joy set before him, he was able to endure certain things. This being one of them, he had a focus on, on, an, on an end result. He knew the end, as we know the end. And, but his focus remained there. That's the difference between leadership and everybody else, is that leaders have the, have the ability to focus on the end result and expect God's word to come to pass, and they live as if it already has come to pass, and there's, a, there's just a, a tenacity, a resilience that is attached to that. When you just know that you're doing the right thing, when you know, um, despite what everybody else might say, there's a, an ability to be resilient, in faith, and it makes it. You know, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and sugarcoat it. And make you think that life is just gonna be hunky dory. And you're never gonna have any emotional issues, um, because we're gonna have to handle each instance on a moment by moment basis. But it helps so much to have that end goal in your spirit, and to confess with your mouth those things that you know to be true in God's word. And the enemy will back down. He doesn't have power over the word of God. And that's the truth. But he does, he does like to try to give you a bad hair day from time to time. He wants you to quit. He really does. Now, Jesus refused to be bitter when others were disloyal or betrayed him. Now, that is huge because uh, this, is, this is really good here. It says, bitterness will harm you more than betrayal. One is internal. The other is external. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, 
But bitterness is going to kill you. It's going to kill you. There's a... See, bitterness is one of those unspokens. And in fact, through the encounter process, I was able to deal with so many things so rapidly. You know, drug abuse, alcoholism, sexual immorality, all those things, man, they fell off almost effortlessly because they were so big and obvious and in my face. And I knew them before I went through encounter. So after that layer of the onion came off, it was things like bitterness. Ooh, wow, I didn't know I did that. These are things that we need to be conscious of. I know that, God, that Jesus Christ was fully God and he was fully man. But I know that he had a conscience. I know that there was, he had the same mechanisms in working in his physical body that we do in ours. The chemical things that would take place when bitterness would want to arise. All those things. Now, he, he, he took dominion over them. He may not have spoken out to them and, and sent them to the pit of hell. And did the things that maybe some areas that we might need to do. But there was an, an element of self-control that was attached to his ability to, to not only identify bitterness, but to resist. Resistance. That was part of his suffering. That resistance. And when pastor teaches on the uh, definition of suffering is to resist, Jesus' life was one long suffering episode. All the way through, because he resisted the flesh constantly. That's why he was sinless. Now, we're not perfect, but we have that ability to do that as well. You know, just as you have the ability to refrain from blurting out curse words, you have the ability to snuff the bitterness, the resentment, and those things inside of us. So that's really cool that we're able to do that. But betrayal is what others do to you. Bitterness is what you do to yourself. Man, that's good stuff. I want to make a bumper sticker. Disloyalty is a product of ungratefulness. All right, when we're talking about being, uh, having people being disloyal to us or betrayed, you know, those things that would initiate bitterness within you, we have to put it into perspective and understand that, first of all, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We all know that. And so we're not mad at that person. We're not bitter at that person. Maybe there's just a feeling that arises. But if we can understand certain things like disloyalty are birthed from ungratefulness, then it, it takes that personal aspect away from it. You know, it's like it's, it's no longer personal. It's, you can detach yourself from that, that, that feeling. and Don't let those tentacles attach to you and pull you down. But if we keep these things in our mind as we process our emotions... As these things happen to us, it will be a lot easier for us to identify those areas and to just snip those tentacles as they try to attach themselves to us. And it causes us to be able to move past that, that chapter in our life and move on to better things. Because God has a lot more better things than, than that before us. I think of uh, disloyalty and betrayal. You just have to say Peter and Judas. I mean, when you consider those, those two in Jesus' life and... Since I've been preparing for this lesson, I've given more, I put more of an emphasis in, in trying to connect with the emotional side of how Jesus must have felt when those types of betrayals, those were very significant betrayals. But Jesus, again, had the end in mind. He knew the outcome of the process. So, you know, the word says that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. Well, Jesus was certainly called and was in love with God. So he knew that this was coming to pass, but he also knew the end from the beginning. 
He knew that it was this betrayal that was leading to the fulfillment of prophecy. And he put it into perspective. And he was able to forgive because he knew that the plan was, was to be fulfilled. And we don't necessarily have that perspective that, that Jesus may have had as a man. Because I believe that he, he was aware of the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I think there was something in him that was aware that, was, that made it easier for him. Um, despite the fact that he wanted the cup to be passed from him. Um, he, he was, there was an awareness that prophecy was being fulfilled and it was God's will that these things happen. But we know that we are victorious in Christ. We know that the end result is ultimately our victory. We don't know how it's going to look the whole way through, but I can assure you that there's going to be things, people, opportunities, situations in your life that are going to be the building blocks to prepare you for a situation in your life that is going to have required that previous offense, that previous um, judgment, betrayal, disloyalty. And as we prevail through those and as we, as we cause, as the Lord builds us up and as we allow him to, to build us, and it's even like a callus. I think of a cut. If you get cut on the same spot so many times, it's eventually, who plays guitar? Zach, you play guitar. Have you ever experienced a callus? I would say, I would say so, but at first... It, 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 ow, ooh, ee, ee. But eventually, that was necessary in order to be able to do God's will. And I just see that in our life. If we can have the perspective, keeping the end in mind, and just know that as we are diligently seeking our Father, He's not going to allow anything to, to hurt us. He's not going to allow any temptation to overtake us. And, and so we can just rest in Him, knowing that, ooh, ee, ow, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause a little bit along the way. But as we do, it eventually becomes, we get to a place where, we prevail in that area. And that's just a great thing. And I just, I don't think either any of us in this room will ever have to deal with the likes of a Peter or Judas. Praise God. Nor will we have to deal with anything that likes of death on the cross. Praise God. See, he went through and did these things and, and showed us that it's possible. And while I don't wish that upon anybody, I just know that, that even if that was something that I had to face, that my father did it before me and that I can overcome through this. Um, so Jesus didn't disconnect from Peter. He received him. And he had, the, he had the ability to see beyond the betrayal to the next chapter in the story. Jesus resisted temptation. Um, I think as leaders, and I've been dealing with this recently, that the... I don't know. I just I don't mean this to be demeaning, but the lay people in church look at leaders and just expect or assume that well they don't deal they don't get dealt with the stuff that I get dealt with. You know, they're they're spiritual. They're, you know, somebody that came in off the street like I did. I I was a bit intimidated because I would look at I would look at folks that are higher on the spiritual food chain, if you will. And I'd see them and I'd say, "You know, I'm struggling with this thing, but surely they don't struggle with it because they're up there." But that's not the truth. The fact is, those temptations, those, those, those shots are still fired over the bow of leaders. The difference is we're able to understand temptation. There's, there's just a level that we have aspired to through temptation, through all these trials and tribulations that have, has got us to a place where we're mature enough to appear as if we don't struggle with those things or have those things um, shot over our bow. But the truth is, it does happen. And... Uh, we all know temptation is the presentation of evil, 
but it's also an opportunity to choose temporary pleasure rather than permanent gain. That's the difference between maturity and immaturity. And that's in all aspects of life. But when, in your spiritual walk, if you can understand, as we talked about in this last section, that Jesus was able to see the long-term effects of these decisions. He knew what the, the outcome ultimately would have been. Just like he knows the outcome of each and every one of our lives as we follow him. But we have to understand that there's a permanent gain being offered to us through these trials and tribulations and even the offering of temptation. Um, there's no escape from temptation. And we have to realize that Satan is the master at making sin look enticing without repercussion. In fact, he says things like, are you sure that's going to be bad for you? And we were talking about reasoning here just recently and how we reason our way into so many dumb things, especially when it comes to our finances. Um, I have a story, but I'm going to save it because I want to get through this whole lesson, but it's pretty funny. But uh, leaders, just understand, they're, they're not exempt from temptation, but will implement the spiritual tools to fight back. And that's what we're being equipped with in these courses and these classes and the readings. And the, I saw many of you out there reciting your memorized verses, scratching your heads, thinking, oh, gosh, how, how did that one go? And, oh, I'm under time crunch. Do I have any time? Look at theirs. What did theirs say? No. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it's just, oh. And I remember I quit Encounter, I don't know how many times. Nobody ever knew, but I quit. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. I'm out of here. This is, this is a cult. This is, this place is, this is ridiculous. How, do, how dare they expect me to read the Bible? This is, oh. <laughs> I have a problem with this. But it was through those times and those tools, I was being equipped with the ability to have the word of God written in my spirit and my heart so that when this temptation arose and it does arise, I was able to and am able to see it, understand it, rebuke it, move forward. And it's just a, it's a, it's a great thing. And we've got to practice spiritual disciplines. These might sound like just key words in the faith, but when pray, 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 pray. And I want to liken prayer to that of a, of a marriage relationship. When you, when you pray, and we talked about this in our men's meeting last night, when you pray with your spouse, it, it shakes the heavens. It really does. When you talk to your father, married or unmarried, for you, those of you who might not be, I sounded northern for a second, for you who ain't married, for those of you who might not be married, um, when, we, when we go in the presence of the father, there's a, there's small talk. I mean, I do a lot of small talk with the father. On the way to work, you know, I'll see the sunrise and be like, wow, God, that rocks. You know, that's cool. Hey, by the way, thanks for letting me live today. Little stuff. But then there's those times where you present the father with a bouquet and the candles are lit. There's rose petals on the floor. And it's just, you know, if you listen to secular music, Marvin Gaye's playing. And it's just like, I want to be intimate with you, father. And there's those times that when we can get enter into those intimate times, that's when, that's when I believe that in the natural, there's a lot of, uh, how do I say this without sounding, I'm sorry. There's a lot of benefits. Yes, there are a lot of benefits. But one of which is I have two children as a result of moments like that. Promises. And we can be, um, we can be filled with him. And there's just a, a, a something that happens when his presence resides in you and it gets in. It's those times that, that we get before him in those manners. And I mean pray like, I want to spoil you, Father. 
And that's really important. But the other prayer is important as well. Fasting. Where's my sheet here? Where am I? Fasting. Um, uh, we, we all know we're going to enter into a fast here. We do the 21-day fast every year. But I, we need to take that seriously. And fasting is like taking a, a file to your sword. And when you, when you rear that thing and you, and you swing it towards the, the, the things that are tempting you, it's amazing how it just cuts those things down with effortlessness. It's just fasting is an amazing thing. Read the Word. Get it in you. Attend services and cell groups. Get connected with a group of people that, that you know will stand with you. Unlike that poor pastor who um, our pastor brought, brought up this past Sunday who was standing alone. I can only imagine what that felt like, that he didn't have anyone to stand with him. Don't let that be you. People aren't looking for perfect leaders, but they want to follow prevailing leaders. I believe that people want to follow fighters. People want to follow those who are willing to stand up and rear a sword and say, where is he? Let's go get him. That's the kind of people we need to surround ourselves with. And when temptation comes, trust me, when those people come out of the woodwork, if you surround yourself with them, it's like the bat signal goes up and you'll get phone calls. Hey, is everything all right? Do, should we pray for something? I mean, it's just, it's awesome. Jesus was a tomorrow thinker. And again, we, we keep going back to the fact that Jesus wasn't dwelling on what's happening now. He wasn't dwelling on what happened then. He knew what was coming tomorrow. He understood the future, and he wanted, to, he, wanted to, he wanted to step into that promise because God has promises for us. Our now doesn't always look very good, but our now is, is a part of our promise. It's, it's a stepping stone to get into that place, but that place exists. He's promised it to us. Whether it's in this lifetime or not, it doesn't matter. The fact is it's there, and we dwell on that, and our, it keeps us lifted. That's where that joy unspeakable births from. Satan tends to always want to dwell on the past. However, Jesus wants you to focus on your tomorrow. Stop taking journeys into your yesterday. Recently had a friend, lost everything in a house fire. And this man was actually a really close friend of my father's. He was here at the funeral. He videotaped everything. He, every picture that I have of him, he's got a video camera in his hand or on his side. He had a library of his past. My dad's past, all of his friends' past, amazing collection gone. Gone. And that's as devastating as it is, it's almost liberating for him to know that he can move forward. And um, it, was just a, it was just a thing that, that kept him bound. And so many of us dwell in the glory days that, that we had, we once did. We, and that's not who we are anymore. God has called us into a purpose. And we need to continue moving forward if we're ever going to get there. You guys don't forget that, all right? Enjoy these times, but they're, they're behind you. You're moving forward. We need to make decisions that create a desired future instead of a desired present. Every decision we make today is going to benefit or diminish our future. That is a fact, Jack. Every single decision, every thought. I once made a diagram of what it looks like as we make decisions in our life. And some decisions take you closer to the Father, some don't. But he always provides for you in every decision you make, another decision. Until ultimately we get to him, if we can. For others, they don't. And it's just this web over years and years and years. It just, if you were to document every decision you ever made and every crossroad it brought you to, it just, oh, it's overwhelming to think that God always, he knows the end from the beginning. He knows how you're going to get to him. He doesn't always know every decision you're going to make, but he knows that there's a way behind every decision. And if we just focus on the fact that we're moving forward, forward, you'll, you'll see that road. And it's just really... 
You need to, you need to focus on that. God's will for your life and ministry has nothing to do with yesterday, but it's linked to your decisions today and will f- affect your tomorrow. Now, I will tell you, my past has developed who I am today. I'm able to minister to a lot of the young people because of who I, what I have been through, but that's not to say that I need to go back there in order to benefit from that experience. You understand? It's not about the thing that was back there. It's what is up ahead that can be prevented because of my experiences. So I'm not encouraging you guys to go live a rough life so you can have a bar ministry. <laughs> um, <laughs> make decisions that create a desired future instead of a desired president, uh, present. Um, every decision is going to benefit or diminish your future. If you eat a gallon of ice cream every night, the result will eventually be... Yeah. How about smoking or drinking or drugs? Same. I mean, that's decisions, decisions, decisions. Those who reprogram their thinking in terms of long-term benefits usually end up successful in life. Um, One of the things that I want to encourage for you who have um, spouses, humble yourselves, men, men, men. Humble yourselves and pray with your wives. That decision, that humbling decision opens up, shakes the heavens, and creates a, an amazing road before you. It opens up a, a, a plethora of goodness, good stuff. You Better than ice cream. Or smoking, drinking, or drugs. Now, Jesus knew the power of habits. Great leaders simply have good habits. I've been reading this book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and um, it could not be more true. And habits only develop through repetition, pain, suffering, but you must develop good habits. They don't come overnight. You've got to, you've got to get past the, the things you don't like to get into the things you're going to love. Jesus was a busy man. He was involved in many things, yet he, cultivi- he cultivated certain habits that caused him to be effective. Luke 4.16 says, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. That was his custom. It's normal for him. It wasn't, he didn't give any thought. He didn't sacrifice anything to do this. It was his custom. And anybody who's any good at guitar, it's their custom to pick that thing up and love on it and, and, and strum it. And, and just, it's just a custom. It just happens. And that habit has developed a good musician. And then there's someone like me who can pick up a guitar with all the desire in the world to want to be able to make it do something nice, but I haven't developed a habit. I haven't cultivated a habit of, of practice and doing those things that are going to develop me, and that applies to everything in your life. But you want to focus on good habits. A habit, basically anything you do more than twice becomes a habit. Isn't that true? Um, one habit I have developed that I, will, I am proud of, and I, Terry, I brought it to, to your attention today. I don't sit on my wallet anymore when I drive. My back feels so much better. But now it's funny because it's, I just, before I get in the car, it's like this habit of just swooping in there. I could be on the phone carrying a milkshake and I can have every, but I, it's amazing how I could just, it just, it's so natural. It's no longer sacrifice where before I'd get in, I'd sit down, and I'd become comf- uncomfortable. And finally I'd be swerving, trying to get this thing out of my, and it, but on, once it developed a habit of doing it, now it's second nature. I don't think about it. I can do it while doing other things. And it just, it's a good habit. Very, very poor illustration, but one nonetheless. Anything you do that has repetition to it, you'll eventually believe and, and embrace. 
Teachers understand that the basic law of learning is repetition. Isn't that true? How many times did you write down definitions of something? Or I have to, spelling words. Oh, my. I mean, over and over and over. That's why I didn't want to come to Legacy. <laughs> but I'm glad I did. For those of you listening on DVD, I'm glad I did. Um, studies show that you must hear something 16 times before you believe it. Hence, TV commercials, billboards. 16 times is really all it takes. It's really not that much in the overall scheme of things. It takes time to absorb a message, and that's why we sing songs repeatedly and hear the same truths over and over, because it speaks to us more deeply. I can't tell you how many times I've read the same verse and gotten a whole new revelation. The same verse and gotten a whole new revelation. So it's important that we get into good habits and, and repetition and good things. Jesus understood that money alone would not bring contentment. That is the truth. Rich people aren't always happy people. Your hands can be full of money, your head can be full of information, but your life can be very empty. These are very, very true statements. Money is designed for movement and accumulation. Jesus had, had a plan. God had a plan when he instituted bartering, currency, and those things. It was to bring us together as a people, to cause us to depend on him, but also be able to help one another as we did that. And it was just a, if it would just flow the way it was intended to, and the way it did back in the, the early days, um, it just, it makes so much more sense than these people that are, that are overwhelmed with their stock market, their portfolios, their this and that. They have one little hiccup in the economy and everybody's wanting to commit suicide. I mean, there's just so many, money is, it just, it really can be a terrible thing uh, for those who are, are attached to it and have a love for it. But if we love the Lord more than we love money, it can, it can really do some amazing things in this earth. Some things matter more than money, that's for sure. Um, Jesus could look into the eye of the rich and see that they longed for something money could not buy. You see, that's something that everyone, whether it be a, the poorest person on the street or the richest man in you know, Wall Street, there's, there's a longing in everybody. And when you go to these tribes and the Aborigines, you know, somebody brought a question towards me uh, not long ago that said, you know, why is it that the, uh, we're, we're the only ones that have the word of God and we're the only ones that worship him? I laugh because, no, that's not true. Even those, those little Aborigines in the, in the forest that have never seen the word of God, they're worshiping. They don't know why necessarily, but that's why it's so easy to win those souls because when you present them with why, they understand why they're, oh, that's what it is in me that has won. And there's just this longing. You can offer them that or a million bucks, and they will take that any day of the week because that longing is in them for the truth. Unfortunately, as people's incomes grow, they focus on what money can buy rather than what God, God can do through it. And that's something that, um, you know, God's just going to have to work out. You know, churches are scrutinized for for being money hungry or, you know, you guys take our money every week. <laughs> okay, whatever. That's not the truth. The truth is God's requesting it back. It's his already. Jesus knew when you want something you never had, you had to do something you've never done. And that's where leaders are separated again from, from everyone else is we're willing to do something that's difficult at first, knowing that we're going to reap the benefits or that the kingdom's going to reap the benefits from it later. 
you know, even walking, I, I watch uh, Madeline right now. She's trying to roll over, and it's just a struggle. She's a porker, so it's, it's hard for her. She's kind of chunky. But she just struggles just to roll over. And eventually it's going to be crawling, and then it's going to be walking, and, then, and it goes. It goes to school, and then ultimately it's coming to a church like Legacy and having to learn everything, and it's just something else. <laughs> um, thousands fail in life because they do not understand that basic concept. Now, I believe that, um, and this is true, that people, people stay in their comfort zones with what they're familiar with, their family traditions in the South, that's huge, because they don't like being uncomfortable. They don't like the discomfort that comes along with stepping out of that proverbial comfort zone. But they have to understand, and we have to understand, that in order for us to acquire a new skill, a new talent, a new anything in life, a new soul, a new friendship, a new employment, we're going to have to do something we've never done. And that requires us coming together and leaning, being able to network with each other to find out those areas of things that we haven't done because a lot of times, because you've never done it, you have a hard time deciding what it is you need to do. And it's just, that's why we're a body. Um, Jesus always challenged people to do something they'd never done before to receive what they'd never had. Now, Peter walking on water, that's a huge one. Disciples dropping nets to follow him. Marching around Jericho. I mean, if there was ever an out-of-the-comfort-zone experience, for real. Dipping in the Jordan seven times. A widow giving her last meal, oil, etc. That's, um, it's hard to fathom what some of the illustrations that God has given us. He shows us, he shows us these things to help us realize that you're not the only one. You know, there's many that have done this before you. Just trust me, my ways work. And when he says his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than ours, in those particular instances, it's very obvious. They're much higher. Jesus knew that every great achievement requires a willingness to begin small. There's, there's nothing, if you've ever been to the gym or exercised, um, you'll realize that when you build up from the slow, the, you know, you start off a little overweight, a little you know, too many Dunkin' Donuts, and you get in and you start doing a routine and you're going the slow route and you're persevering and you're going through it and, and it starts off slow, but eventually it starts to build. There's those that, that can come in and take the, the, the quick, you know, drink to lose 50 pounds overnight and they're doing the, the three steps to great abs and they might experience a, a results on the outside, but they're so, they dwindle so fast because they, they weren't earned I just noticed that in the, in the fitness arena um, a lot, especially with steroids and all these things that are out in the market now. But these people, as soon as they quit using them, they tend to fall apart. They blow it up, and it doesn't look right. So we need to be willing to start small and use that little bit that we have to generate, because God uses little, little things. I mean, he says things like faith like a mustard seed. If you've ever seen a mustard seed, to fathom what it can produce, it's, it's just... It's mind-boggling. But he does that. And whatever we have been given is great enough to, is, is all we need to produce what God has promised in us. We're all different. We're all going to have different roads, different, different ends, if you will. But God has provided in us every single ingredient we need to achieve that in which he's called us to do. We just need to be listening to him. In Zechariah 4.10, he says, For who has despised the day of small things? 
for these seven, uh, for these seven rejoice to see the plum in the land of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scanned to and fro throughout the whole earth. But we cannot despise the day of small things. And I know that's kind of almost an anthem for us here at Legacy Church because um, we started, we've started small. But this is the greatest foundation that you can ever have to build a place to worship, a place to come and get sound doctrine, a place for the weary to come and rest, a place for those that are going to be let out of the hospitals to come and get healing. I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing. that, And I think it's great that we have the opportunity to fellowship with Pastor and Tracy. There's so many big mega churches that everybody wants to be like where they can't go and hug on their pastors. It's an amazing thing. And I don't, I don't look forward to the days when we're, I'm having to page pastor. Well, he's in building three. Great. I've got to hike across them. That's right. Uh, for precept, this is Isaiah 28.10. For precept must uh, uh, be upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, and here little, there little. There's, there's an order in which things need to, to process within the body. And if we're going to be elevated into greatness, we've got to be diligent in all the, the whole Word of God. We can't pick and choose the little, you know, the sugar verses, the ones that, and, and there's a lot of mega um, establishments that are, were built upon the good stuff, you know, and I'm not going to mention any names, but the fact is we're in a time, these are perilous times, and we've got, to be, we've got to be prepared, poised, and ready to go into the world and conquer the, 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 the future that God's given us. I mean, we've got to be ready to go. All right, we're coming in to, for a landing here. Jesus finishes what he started. Leaders are finishers. It's exciting to give birth to new ideas or to launch a new ministry, but real leaders are follow-through people. Guys, when it comes to souls, when it comes to relationships, you've got to be mindful of being a follow-through person. Jesus followed through on his assignment to the end. There were moments that the assignment was glorious and others that it was obviously terrible. But Jesus walked it out until the end. He said it was finished. Paul said, I have finished the course. We've got to have that end in mind and know that we're persevering to that point. If you don't get there and you quit before you get there, you're incomplete. Your promises, if you, can, if you say that, well, it's not true what God says, well, you're probably right. It, it wasn't true because you didn't finish. The truth is at the end. It, it, all, it always is. That's why we stay focused on the truth. Jesus knew that scripture and prayer generated results. The Bible is the greatest book on earth, uncontested. It is the word of God. You should read it regularly and expectantly. The Bible builds your faith and will keep you pure. That's the truth. It's the, that, that's what purifies our soul. It washes our spirit. It's like pouring water on your spirit when it's dusty. Prayer is the conversation with God that we have to have. We talked about that earlier. And I just want to touch on this and we'll conclude, but Matthew's, the Lord prayer that we read in Matthew, this is, this is really, really amazing. I think it's become ritualized and, and become religious, but this is the order in which it was, it was prayed. We praise the Lord when we enter his gates. We thank him. We prioritize on his life, what we, what we want to see taking place according to his word. We can ask him for provision and pardon and protection, but ultimately we praise him. That's what he wants. That's why he designed us. 
And he'll, he'll grant you anything that's on your heart. But as you can see, there are many leadership precepts that we can learn from the master. Make it a matter of prayer and commitment that you will endeavor to be a leader after the model of Jesus himself. One of the things I want to say before we go, and I'm going to carry this a little longer than we should be here, but I do want to say this as we, as we conclude this school. These precepts are only as good as your willingness to apply them to your life. All right? This was not, uh, it's not, you, you don't get to hang a degree on your wall and point it out to your next job application and say, yeah, I have achieved this thing. This is something, this is glorious. This is something that we can use for our future and raising our kids and, and being grandparents and being good employees and friends. And, and ultimately, when we stand before the Father, it's all going to make sense. Wow, how cool was that? Mm -hmm.